the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. True North AM 1460, FM 101.1. The Answer. Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. or via podcast. Fly me to the moon. Let me play. Among the stars. Shining a light on the leaders and luminaries of today and tomorrow. You're listening to True North with your host, Dirk Hobbs. All right, good Saturday morning, Southern Colorado. Welcome to True North. It is Saturday, November 11th. 2023, you're listening to True North here on AM 1460 and 101.1 The Answer. That means it's 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and it's a little chilly out there. Uh, I am your host, Dirk Hobbs. Welcome to the program. We've got a fantastic program and a very, very material discussion. So I want you all to lean in, grab yourself a hot cup of coffee, and uh, listen carefully to this conversation, because I have two uh, brilliant women in the studio with me. Well, actually, one on the phone and one in the studio with me. We're going to talk about uh, the awareness of mental health and the importance uh, of this topic uh, as it relates to every aspect of life um, and how we can start moving culturally uh, to get on the front end of this discussion rather than the uh, after it's too late and people are downstream with a, a lot of things that are going on in their life. Uh, but before we do, I want to, you know, just kind of update everybody on the whole football scene out there. It's a perfect day to watch college football. Our Air Force guys, they dropped one in Denver, a heartbreaker last week to Army. So the Commander in Chief trophy is still in question after a very, very difficult day. Uh, they fell 23 to 3 at Empower Field to the Army Knights, and uh, hey, you know what? Uh, They're back on their feet. They're in Hawaii tonight. It's a late game on CBS, 9 o'clock. Hopefully they can, uh, you know, rebound here, get their head back on, and and just march down the field like they have for the previous eight games. Uh, They're 8-1. There's nothing, nothing to frown about there. Strong team, strong coaching. Stay behind your Falcons, and let's cheer them on to the next level. Uh, my Ole Miss Rebels are eight and one. They're going into, <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, they're going into Athens, Georgia today. And uh, to, to say I'm nervous is putting it mild. Uh, this is the jaws of the beast, if you will. The number one Georgia Bulldogs are hosting my Ole Miss Rebels. 5 p.m. tonight on ESPN. It's a huge game for both programs. And to Coach Kirby's credit with the Georgia Bulldogs, he said, you know, do not overlook these Ole Miss Rebels. They're dangerous. And uh, I hope he's right. I hope they're really dangerous tonight, and I hope they take one away 
from those Bulldogs. Would love to see my Rebels do something extraordinary today. Uh, also, we have the CC hockey team is in Oxford tonight uh, playing Miami of, Ohio, Miami of Ohio, Miami University face-off tonight at 5 p.m. at Steve Caddy Arena. So you can pick that up on KRDO Radio. Their next bat, they're back here at home in Ed Robeson Arena on November 17th when they take on Western Michigan. They're off to a great start, folks. Five and three, CC Hockey's doing absolutely fine. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's support our Tigers. Let's support our Falcons as they travel and do damage to other teams around the nation. So, all right. Well, let's get to the main attraction. Let's get to the main reason we're here. I have two incredible uh, community leaders and business leaders uh, in the studio with me this morning. I'm with Margaret Sabin, who is the former uh, chief president and chief executive officer at Children's Hospital. And of course, Leslie Irvine, she is the vice president and athletic director at Colorado College. Ladies, welcome to the program. Good morning, Dirk. Margaret, are you with us? I sure am. There's, good morning, Dirk. Uh, good morning. Well, glad you guys are both with us. And, I, you know, I absolutely love this project uh, that we're going to eventually get into. But let's orient the folks who are listening to us for the first time. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got here, and then how the two of you in particular connected. Leslie, we'll start with you. Great. Well, Dirk, thanks for having us and um, shining a spotlight on, on the work we're doing. Um, I think for me, it's always interesting, right? You get asked about your journey. Where do you start with that? Um, and where you start is important. So for me, I always point out that I'm a former student athlete, right? Mm-hmm. I'm an athletic director, but I think it's important that I remember that lived experience, even though it was feels like eons ago. That's right. Um, so <laughs> former student athlete, uh, I'm a former coach. I coached at Stanford for 10 years, um, learned a lot about championship culture in that space, and, and uh, got into administration. I saw um, a real need, and, and I'm really passionate, particularly about supporter student-athletes, obviously, but then also supporter coaches, mm-hmm. too. So um, I think about those are some of the high-level things that I'm passionate about. Um, I've been here at uh, Colorado College for, for, I'm actually my fifth year, which Coming is in crazy on to think years. about. Wow. Yeah, and um, I, I will say, and this is relevant to kind of the work Margaret and I are doing, uh, one of the things that really drew me to the Springs, obviously it's Olympic City, USA, um, but I got a very quick and real sense that this was a um, a big city as far as resource and thinking and vision, um, but it was small enough um, in that the relationships really mattered and that you were able to do some things really quickly. And so to live that out with partnerships um, such as this, yes, it's about the work, but it, it was also about Margaret and I really connecting around um, you know, some values and some things that we were both passionate and then saying, what are we going to do about that? And I know that resonates with you too, Dirk. Certainly does. And I, I had the uh, marvelous opportunity of actually being on uh, one of Margaret Sabin's team when we were both with Centura Health. She led that organization with absolute dignity and ra- raised it to a new level. And uh, then she moved over to the Children's Hospital, where she spent a lot of time planting the flag here in Southern Colorado for that agency. Uh, Margaret, glad you're with us, and it's it's been an honor to know you these many years. Uh, I know this is near and dear to your heart. Uh, how, how do you how do you come to the equation on this on this particular topic of mental health and mental wellness? Well, thank you, Dirk. And uh, in regards to our association, the feeling is certainly mutual. This has been a passion my entire career. Um, It turned out that being an executive in the healthcare system and and working with hospitals was 
uh, the path that I took, but always, always I wanted to uh, um, address upstream prevention because I saw so much of the other side of it in running hospitals. I saw the downstream side, and I always thought, what if? What if? What if we could be the community that got ahead of this? How much pain and suffering and economic damage could we save by being more upstream? So Children's Hospital truly gave me that launching pad, even though, as you recall, Dirk, we, we did this kind of work at Penrose St. Francis. Absolutely. With physicians and the huge wellness programs for um all the team, it, this now has been carried on to the next level. Um, and I firmly believe we accomplish what we do in communities through partnerships. None of us can shoulder uh, something, particularly if it's innovative, on our own, mm-hmm. because it's hard for society to initially accept innovation. Um, it's even hard for philanthropists to accept true, true alpha innovation because everyone wants some certainty uh, to what they support. This has been very much alpha innovation because we're doing things, we're using evidence-based tools, but we are doing things in a unique way. And I would say the hallmark is Leslie um, listened, her team listened, they are partners and we absolutely listen because they see what these students need, particularly the student athletes. Mm-hmm. And in our middle schools, it's the same approach. We listen to the teachers and we build a product. We don't build something and then try to jam it to them. They've mm-hmm. had enough of that from society. Mm-hmm. We try to build what works. So I came to this equation um, by the initially uh, working with children's in just opening the new hospital here in Colorado Springs and then being able to transition into doing this full time. Truly my passion. Indeed it is. And, you know, this this community seems to have in its genetic wiring this collaborative spirit. And the two of you were destined to find one another. Uh At what point did you recognize, Okay, we have something here that we can collaborate on? Huh, at what point? Leslie, I'll let you jump in, but I would say it was, uh, first of all, there were several years of discussion going back, if you recall, even uh, prior to Song Richardson, who has an incredible vision mm-hmm. um, for upstream mental health. It even went back to Jill Tiefenthaler, where it was more of a wellness kind of form. This has transitioned with Song as appropriate to the needs of our society, um, and Leslie was her, you know, chief uh, leader in the area, we wanted a cohort that was somewhat intact. So what that means is we wanted a group of students that somewhat hung together, uh, didn't want to tackle the entire college because we were hoping for a successful launch within a cohort that made sense. And you really couldn't find a better cohort than athletes, number one, because their leader, Leslie, believes in this, and number two, because they encouraged each other to participate in our initial assessment, which showed a 76% response rate, and that's unheard of in the nation. Dirt Colorado wow. Springs can be, obviously, Leslie and Song and her team can be proud, because for people to participate in something that assesses how you feel about yourself and life and others at that kind of rate implies a transparency and a trust that, I mean, that's the kind of thing that... It makes our youth strong, and it's what characterizes a great organization. So, Children's and um, 
Colorado College were able to come together, each matching their unique skills and partnerships to, again, create something that uh, we truly believe can be a model for the country. Absolutely. Well, no longer a voice in the wilderness. We are having this conversation front and center, ladies and gentlemen, and it's well past time uh, that we have the ability to have an honest and candid discussion about what mental wellness and get on the front end of this discussion rather than in the preventative side, rather than the curative side. We're back in a minute with two great leaders, Leslie Irvine and Margaret Sabin in just a moment. I got a nightmare phone call that no parent wants to receive. Someone hit me going 60 miles an hour. Dr. Ramos uh, came highly recommended. When I showed him the x-rays, he immediately knew exactly what was wrong. We've had a tremendous experience with Ramos Law. Really, I could not be happier. Having the car accident was an accident. Finding Ramos Law was no accident. Injured in a car accident? Ramos Law can help. RamosLaw.com. All right, we're back here in the second quarter of True North. It's Saturday morning. Uh, Go refresh your cup of coffee and uh, join us for this conversation around the topic of mental wellness. For far too long, mental uh, health and mental wellness was something of an off-limit subject in our culture. And as people, families, we've kept our feelings kind of under close guard at the risk of being overly vulnerable or underqualified perceptions thrown at us as to why we might be battling something inside. Well, all those things, you know, one, one of the great things that's evolved is this willingness to have this open discourse around mental health and mental wellness. It's it's like any other physiological injury. I mean, if you're hurting inside, something's broken, and you have resources to get ahead of it and start having the conversation early before it becomes a more significant issue. Uh, I'm with uh, Leslie Irvine, who is the vice president and athletic director at Colorado College. They have partnered with Children's Hospital and past president and CEO Margaret Sabin, And together, they're doing something extraordinary, folks. So I want you to really lean in and listen to what they're saying. Uh, We we got kind of a baseline from Margaret, Leslie, Mm -hmm. on on how they got involved. Why don't you pick up there and and plug in the CC angle on this? Yeah, thanks, Dirk. You know, I think about the partnership, and frankly, it's to do with the people. Uh, I think it's to do with the moment. Um, and, and frankly, and I know Margaret would agree, this is rolling your sleeves up and doing hard work and being willing to build the plane as you fly it and actually pre- produce some action orientation out of this. Mm-hmm. So I think for, for us at Colorado College, our, we had um, endured some tragedy on our campus mm-hmm. um, very recently. And, and so our students were, were really asking us as leaders, what are we doing to invest in mental health and mental wellness? So it's really a call for action. Yeah. Um, and I think we also had, when you think about the people, I want to give Rich Bennett a shout out. He's our associate uh, director for sport performance. And, and what I mean by that is we have a holistic perspective on support for our student athletes. I think some colleges think about when you're taking care of your student athletes, they're thinking purely medically and physically. Sure. And so, right, you roll your ankle, you go into the training room, you get it wrapped and iced. And mm-hmm. for us, Rich has really brought, and, and I saw this in him when we hired him, He's a relationship builder, and so we've been able to bring some resources to the table, not only in mental wellness, mental health, sports psychology, but nutrition, giving them coaching about sleep, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things that frankly go into championship culture and overall performance. So I think um, having the right people at that table 
who are really passionate and see the need and then really designing out um, and committing time to, at the end of the day, how are we going to implement this thing? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember some of our earlier conversations, and I, you know, for people who want takeaways here around leadership, Margaret and I just connected, right? We spent time together and her staff um, and our staff, uh, and we just aligned, right? Margaret's daughter was a CC grad, and she played basketball for us, and mm-hmm. Um, you know, Margaret is an athlete herself, not to talk about your Margaret, and I'm a former student athlete. So we we connected around how athletics is a platform and uniquely positioned to be leaders around this. And so and we, we we got to work and, and frankly, we created time in our schedules right. and, and raised this as a priority. And it's one thing to talk about these things. There's a lot of people out there talking about these things. I think the difference here is that we're, we said, what are we actually going to do? What are you going to do? Yep. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Uh, talk, you know, you, you happen to be focused also on, on student athletes, but really this, this is a conversation that permeates the entire campus. Yeah. I mean, there's no limit to this. I mean, all the boats are going to rise on a high tide here. Um, even though you're kind of starting with the student athlete, there's a lot of pressure on student athletes, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of isolation. And so that feeling of isolation, I was also a student athlete at Ole Miss. So I, yep. I get this. Um, and a lot of our listeners are. So what, what are some of the, the initial discussion threads that you and Margaret started having in terms of putting this theoretical, you know, this conversation into action? Yeah. I, I'm happy to jump in on this one, Margaret, initially, but I think it was, um, I, I think you're, you're right in the, for me, we talk often about the lived experience of the student athlete right. and it's unique, right? right? It's not special. It's really unique. And it's really important for me as a leader to be an advocate mm-hmm. and shed light on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way I'm positioned as a leader on our campus too, though, is we're always thinking about how does this whole campus benefit from this? That's right. And so I will say initially, you know, some of the questions and, and these were valid questions were why, why would it just be our student athletes who are benefiting? potentially benefiting from this. And so Margaret and I worked quickly um, to reshape the narrative on that to say, we know that we have a really engaged group of student athletes who are actively interested in this. And quite frankly, they have people and adults on our campus. We learned this through the survey too, reinforced it, that they trusted. And so when we asked them to complete the survey and when the coaches are asking them to do it, then, then they're highly likely to do that. But the goal is here potentially for for this partnership to be a national model mm-hmm. um, and for for us to see what we learn from this student athlete population to now bring a, bring in other student cohorts because there is interest in our campus. People know that we're doing this for the student athletes and they're saying, well, how do we benefit from this as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Margaret, what would you add? I would add that um, – Everything, uh, I want to echo, first of all, um, Leslie's um, discussion of partnership with her key leader, uh, Rich Bennett. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these yeah, students trust leader, and that's exactly right. You know, if you don't have trust in leadership, it's difficult to build a culture, you know, of trust. It's, a, it's just not going to happen. So mm-hmm. that's a get-go for this. Um, what we're working on now is training um, segments of student-athletes that are interested and identified by their coaches to be peer coaches. So a peer coach is an individual who's interested in helping others, and we give actionable tools and strategies uh, for how they are not a therapist, not, mm-hmm. not their doctor, um, 
but a peer coach, someone who can listen. Because frequently on the um, early stages of, of just anxiety um, and um, uh, negative self-image issues, uh, maybe even situations of, of trying to figure out how to deal with uh uh, other student athletes where the relationships might be negative. Uh, it's just about someone else you can do non-judgmental listening um, and inquisit and questioning of have you considered have you. So we we have an intense peer coaching program developed at Children's Hospital, um, and we've been able to graduate cohort one, and it's been really. I, an incredible experience, and I, I must say it, it's our, the work of our partnership, but I've enjoyed it so much with our other peer trainers, and Leslie's had the beautiful chance of, of seeing and hearing any follow-up because it's, it's been a couple weeks now. We're gearing up to do our second cohort, um, and we're hoping to get to about 20% of the athlete overall cohort of 400 that are trained peer coaches um, and can further this culture of resilience within the team. But uh, Leslie might want to comment on what she's hearing from actually not just uh, her student athletes, but coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that this is where you take a project from good to great. Mm. And we've been focused on this being great. Excellent. Like one of the things yep. that we thought about, and you'll understand this too, Dirk, we needed the buy-in from our coaches. Sure. Because you're turning your, their leaders over to but right, the children's hospital group mm-hmm. um, to teach them on, frankly, what is communication leadership skills, right? It's, right. it's the ability to talk to one another yeah. if you really boil it down. And so getting the coaches buy-in on this, we worked really intensively on this. And so that's why when you think about a national model, we've learned some things as we've launched this. Right. And so the coaches were really excited and the coaches began to understand too that through this peer coaching – who, which is going to help our students talk to one another, it's going to help the performance of their team. Of course. It, that We're also really interested in winning games at CC, mm-hmm. right? And our student-athletes are too. And so this is the direct link to championship culture is really clear. That's right. And then, um, yeah, it's been it, – it, we've been thrilled to hear the feedback from the student-athletes. So frankly, and probably the most important thing is our, our student-athletes feel that they have been given a thing – a superpower, something oh, wow. to actually act on yeah. to help this moment around mental health. Yeah. And um, I was I was kind of debriefing with Margaret a little bit recently, and it's become a thing that they're going to put on their resume. Yeah. It's going to be a thing that they're going to talk to future employers about. That we've I've done this type of intensive training, yeah. and we actually had. Um, you know, more student athletes than we can maybe even accommodate uh, want to sign up for it. So these are positive problems emerging out of this. Um, but I do think that the feedback um, has been outstanding and, and our students are really just eager to put it to work. Well, and I, I love the response of the students and the coaches because, yeah, you're taking a piece away from them, right? I mean, they want to be that role model, that mentor mm-hmm. and and take ownership of the outcome of that particular body of people moving through sport. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to relinquish that control, yeah. but thank goodness they did. And so you guys have learned and documented the, the, the pushback areas and how to adopt mm-hmm. and message those things to the coaches to get that buy-in yeah. and get them engaged. 
Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this conversation, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes and understand uh, the difference between a rescue model and getting upstream in this particular conversation with two amazing thought leaders on the discussion of leadership as well as mental wellness. I'm with Margaret Sabin, past president of Children's Hospital here in Colorado Springs and vice president and athletic director. Leslie Irvine from Colorado College and these two mammoth organizations have come together and they are putting into action uh, all the things we've been talking about for years now. Uh, our culture's under fire, folks. It's under siege. And the, the kids are, are the greatest asset that we have. And so these two women and their organizations are leaning into this and talking about how to put programmatic elements into place and empower students and uh, future leaders, if you will, um, to help really understand and manage um, mental wellness, mental illness, as it may be, and uh, how they can cope better as productive citizens. So we're back in a moment with these two ladies. Stay with us. that matter to you. AM 1460 and FM 101.1. The answer. All right, we're back here at the second half of True North. Uh, I am Dirk Hobbs. Thank you to Ramos Law for bringing this us this show and allowing us to have in-depth conversations with great leaders around the community, people who are making a difference in our lives here in Southern Colorado and I have two very amazing leaders in our community here in the studio with me. Well, one's actually on the phone, uh, but I got another one here in the studio. Leslie Irvine, Vice President and Athletic Director at Colorado College. Welcome. Glad okay. you're here. And, of course, Margaret Sabin on the line. She's in Southern California at the moment, but uh, she is the past president at Children's Hospital and uh, now a special advisor to that organization. And together, these organizations have come together and are are actually putting into action all the discussion threads that we've learned from over the last uh, many years as it relates to the topic of mental wellness. And I, I want to start with you, Margaret, on our posture as a as a culture as it relates to this rescue model of mental health. Uh, you say you state that it's overloaded, and I agree with that. But let's unpack that a little bit more for the listener out there. Thank you, Dirk. Meaning overloaded, meaning the demand on the acute care side of the healthcare system, particularly mental health, is overflowing capacity to respond, which um, mirrors the escalating issues we see in society at all ages of uh, mental health and acute mental illness. Mm-hmm. We know now as a society because much more studies been directed, that early intervention makes um, an incredible difference. In fact, we know that much of mental health um, illness starts early on, um, and it uh, becomes worse over time not being addressed. Mm-hmm. So we know that early intervention is where we have to go, because we know 
on the back end, we can't hire our way or build our way out of the expanding uh, challenges that our community is facing. So it's just logical, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, Whoever originally said that was (laughs) right on. Mm -hmm. It is applicable to mental health as any area. It's, I think what's been difficult for us is it's, it's not on the shoulders of any one segment of society. Where do we first notice uh, mental health issues? Generally in the schools. And I want to applaud the Colorado Springs schools, um, particularly um, we started with District 20, um, you know, three years ago, for um, identifying early on issues of anxiety, uh, depression, low self-efficacy, all the factors that are in the beginning of that scale to low performance, low self-image, and potentially escalating depression beyond moderate to severe, and uh, implementing programs that make a difference. But it takes leaders in the community to partner um, because these issues aren't found in the emergency department of the hospital. They're just not. They're identified in schools. They're identified in homes. They're identified on the athletic field in terms of perhaps how a student is able to react. Are they trigger when something goes negative? Do they not have the resource and the resilience and skills? Those are all the things we are looking to build in an upstream manner so we decrease the burden of acute mental health on the back end. And it's just it's what a good society does. Absolutely. Go ahead, Margaret. It takes a partnership like this to effectively do it. I mean, you know, we, I talk about ambulances lining up at the bottom of the cliff because we can predict how many people are going to come over. Mm. But how little it takes the local community, the local landowner and a carpenter um, and, and a lumber company to build a fence at the top. <laughs> we need to build a fence at the top, and it takes the hands of the community to do this. Oh, amen, sister, to that. Well, you know, why do you think it has taken us so long uh, because as a healthcare executive, you saw this among your uh, physician groups, Margaret, at a, at a at a system level. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, as you stated earlier. And you know, the preventative side. I mean, why why have we been so reluctant to address that in mental health? Do you think? Well, number one, we have a lot more excellent research proving that early intervention makes a difference. And we are very science-oriented in healthcare to look at what is evidence-based. So that's number one. Number two, the reimbursement system definitely lags what science says we should do. Um, And the reimbursement system is very much um, um, oriented to paying for acute. In other words, after someone is broken, it pays for repair as opposed to prepare. So um, those two factors have made our system slow to respond. Also, um, the healthcare system, if you think of an institution, think, you know, think of, of someone who's just gone through a, you know, a major trauma because of bad lifestyle choices. When they're in the ER bleeding, you're not going to talk to them about, you know, safe driving and <laughs> not drinking right. when driving. It's just not a time when they're perceptive. We know in pediatrics that a 11th grader, 11-year-old, I'm sorry, 11-year-old um, so in fifth and sixth grade range is the most receptive those youth are going to be to resilience. And we also know you get that same impact um, in, in college among youth and particularly those who can orient within peer groups, ergo the peer coaching we do in the older age groups. 
So it's been a long time, but uh, definitely our society is coming around to it. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, innovation has rested on the shoulders of philanthropists uh, mm-hmm. because if the regular reimbursement system doesn't cover it, it's really hard for a healthcare system to build a system of something, even though it works, that isn't paid for. You can understand that. So with philanthropy and now science and now the passion of our community coming together, I uh, have 100% confidence that we are moving toward implementing more of an upstream approach across the board. We just need examples like what Colorado College and Children's are doing right now. And speaking of that, I mean, Leslie, you're building a championship culture over there at Colorado College. Unpack that for the listeners and how that translates into action for what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I think about the why for us. Um, I mean, obviously, the well-being of our students student-athlete, student-first is always first and foremost, but I think the context in which I work, um, and I've been fortunate to be at some of the best academic institutions in the world. I was at Stanford as a coach. I was at Pomona before here. Here I am at Colorado College, an extraordinary academic institution. These students come with such high expectations of themselves in all areas. And so I, I was speaking at a conference on Monday, actually here in the city, um, talking about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me as an administrator, I think one of the most important things that we can be doing right now, um, and particularly athletic administrators, is building resources to support our student-athletes with the expectations that not only we put on them, um, but that they they come with mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, for me, we've um, Colorado College is really committed to academic and athletic excellence, mm-hmm. right? We've just built Edwards and Arena. It's a really good, shiny example of our commitment to athletics and, and frankly, wanting to chase championships. We mm-hmm. have five teams nationally ranked currently competing. Um, Yeah, it's really (laughs) exciting. So, but you think about it, like what are we doing to make sure that not only physically, but mentally our student athletes are prepared for success and frankly prepared for those big moments. And I think for the, from a coaching perspective, you know, as a former coach too, I spend a lot of time with our coaches who I think my role with the coaches is to encourage them to be able to coach courageously and it's very hard to coach courageously right now. It's it's. What does that mean specifically? Coaching courageously is is being free to push to push the students to their limits. Okay. And you can't do it without trust, and you can't do it without the proactive work, mm-hmm. um, where you are comfortable knowing how far you can push them. So, what's the balance there between pushing for that excellence, pushing to individual optimal performance, and maintaining a self a healthy self image? Uh, and not pushing them too hard. Well, that's the work, right? And so yeah. the, I think that's my point is that with the coaches knowing that we have proactive resources that are in place, we have peer coaches mm-hmm. that are part of the team, that we have resources that we can call if students say, you know what, because um, this isn't always about a student in crisis. This is, I'm just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. That the coaches actually talk about it and can make referrals and take themselves out of that. Right. And so for me, it would be very hard. I talk all the time about championship culture, and we're doing it. We're doing that thing. Um, it's very hard to do that without thinking about what we're doing proactively. It's I, thinking about the metaphor. It's a, why do we, as a student athlete, I was terrible at flexibility. I never stretched. I just, <laughs> I, it was very boring me to me. <laughs> yeah. But why do we stretch? Yeah. We stretch to prevent injury. To prevent injury. Right. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing proactively to make sure that our student athletes are mentally resilient as well? And you said, and, and I, go ahead, Margaret. Leslie said it earlier. 
when she said these um, students develop this superpower, you could maybe parallel that with that's resilience. What is resilience? It's when there is adversity, whether it's, uh, as Leslie said, having a bad day or maybe lost a game. It's how quickly you bounce back, how quickly you have that reserve to come back and say, I got this. And we didn't mention, but the Colorado College students um, were very transparent about all their um, um, areas and how they felt. But one factor we absolutely loved was very high hope scale. And you notice that kids who are achieving in this world, even though they may have dire circumstances, the politics they see on TV cannot be uplifting. Their parents are mm. struggling. They may have high anxiety, might, might even have, you know, some depression on the scale. If they have high hope, that is a key factor that's going to make a difference in how they rebound, how they set their sights, and um, the resilience that they bring to whatever they're doing in life. And let me tell you, that's that's a great line to take a pause there because we do need an infusion of hope. Uh, if you want more information on this, I, I want to invite our listeners to Notes Bar, November 14th. Registration is required, but uh, it's a free event from 530 to 730. And you come and hear this conversation in person uh, with these two amazing women and these two amazing organizations who are leading. This conversation, they're leading championship cultures, and obviously there's an application for this in the business world, in the family dynamic, and everywhere else we find ourselves. So stick around with us in the first uh, fourth for the fourth quarter. Pardon me. Uh, we're with Leslie Irvine at Colorado College and Margaret Saban at Children's Hospital talking about mental wellness and uh, what they're what they're working on to accomplish to get us uh, kind of recalibrated as a culture here in Colorado Springs is spearheading this right now. Back in a moment. One critical fact that needs to be established is that your injuries were caused by the accident incident you were involved in. For your case to have merit, it must be made clear that had you not been in the crash in the first place, you wouldn't have been hurt. This is one of the most important steps in the entire process, and leaving it to anyone but an expert is a serious mistake. Ramos Law, doctor, lawyer, partner, combining medical and legal knowledge for better outcomes for you. All right, we're back here in the fourth quarter with Leslie Irvine, Vice President and Athletic Director of Colorado College, and of course, Margaret Sabin. Uh, one of our finest uh, healthcare executives here in Southern Colorado. She's led Centura Health and Children's Hospital to new levels. And together, these two women and their organizations have come together to discuss mental wellness on a very practical level and putting into action a lot of the things that empower us. Uh, I love your comment, um, Leslie, about giving people this superpower. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Margaret mentioned it earlier as well, because this, this is actually a tangible skill set, a tools, uh, a, a toolkit, if you will, uh, to manage the complications. I mean, all you have to do is listen to our nightly news, and, and you can see that mental illness is playing out. It's running rampant. Uh, we are, are arguing here. It's time for us to get ahead of this, uh, get on the front end of this discussion. And obviously, we can't legislate every aspect of our lives. So the family unit has to participate in this, first and foremost. 
And then at, as, as we grow into our cultures, into our communities, through our schools, through colleges and our workforce, uh, all this ability to have an open and honest conversation that is empowering, uh, this sense of resilience while having at the same time a championship culture, keeping that healthy balance between the two things. I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, and ladies, I, I just want you to, to go ahead and explain a little bit further where where this particular program is headed, what is needed to support you and make this as successful as we can. Leslie, we'll start with you because I know you're speaking for the university and you're speaking, of course, for your coaches and student athletes. Um, what, what are some of the key takeaways for us? Yeah, Derek, I, I think that what Margaret and I have realized is as we educate people about what we're doing, they're just really inspired by it. They're mm-hmm. really inspired by the fact that uh, it's actionable, as you've said. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the transferables are huge here because what we're actually doing is we're investing in humanity. You think about how this transfers to organizations, right? You think about the world and how it's changed post-COVID and how um, your employees or your stakeholders or the people that you serve just expect more from you as leaders and they expect you to take care of them first. And and I think that, um, so we've been, we feel like we're barely scratching the surface. As excited as Margaret and I are about the progress we've made, I think we see that this is just the peak of a giant iceberg that we, we just um, we're really excited about what we can do for this. And we're frankly looking for support and the feedback we've gotten um, from people is from my lens too. there's the, the student athlete piece has been really intriguing because so many people are touched by these issues personally. So most people understand my, why mental wellness impacts when you layer it with the CC championship culture piece so for people who also want to support the teams or to help teams win there's just um people are really have been drawn to to what we're doing so i would encourage anyone who has been moved by this or 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 excited about this um there's so many transferables and we're looking for support on this Mm -hmm. margaret you know from from your standpoint you know, you, you've got this wealth of experience in, in the managed care world and, and how care is delivered. I mean, ha- has it changed? Is it changing? Are you seeing motion at the healthcare level as well with people starting to take a proactive stance on their mental health? I, I definitely am seeing a shift. I think right now, um, if you look across the country and you look at venture capital, everyone's talking um, about mental health, and it's all about apps. And there's a role for apps. But to take um, a youth that's, um, you know, been through a tough time, think about COVID and what's going on in the world and their own use of apps and stick them in front of an app to get healthier, eh, think about it. Mm -hmm. That that just doesn't click. Right. So there needs to be the the in-person piece of it um, that Leslie and I have discussed and I'm convinced that an app can um, bolster it, but it can't replace it. In That's fact, right. there are, um, you know, both youth and and uh, even younger that, um, that a psychologist won't put in front of an app if they're already fairly depressed because it's not going to help. It's going to make them worse. So um, I said before, we, have, uh, we now have evidence-based information that upstream can prevent 
serious mental health issues, number one. Um, we are seeing community partnerships work. We do have passion and philanthropists. And I think what we need um, is the um, successful um, initiation of partnerships like this to say, we did this, it worked, it didn't cost a lot. But you know what? Thank you, Colorado Springs community, mm-hmm. for funding this. Hopefully she won't mind, but I'm going to call out the first person who believed in this and funded it was Judy Mackey, um, the co-owner of Garden of the Gods. Garden of the Gods, yeah. I mean, talk about a powerful individual, okay, and and, and in all aspects, all right? And others have come in as well. But it does take the community to fund something that's not yet mainstream um, so that people can believe in it. I do believe that this will be funded. Healthcare organizations know that a behavioral health visit in a school costs a lot less than going to the emergency department in a crisis. They get it. They know it. They're saying, show me how you can make it work and scale it. So that's what this is about. Um, and the, the Colorado Springs community has completely funded this initiative. And, boy, that's saying a lot. That's saying community. an awful lot, Margaret, and I appreciate that. You know, we have a shortage of, of behavioral health specialists out there in general, and I love the fact that this really starts to take back some of that control, like you said, Leslie, empowering students to have that conversation both peer-to-peer as well as from coaches to them. That's a powerful instrument uh, because access to that kind of care is hard and access to quality care at that level is hard. I have an adopted child and uh, we've gone we've burned through probably a half a dozen, uh, you know, providers who have been in and out of the business. Uh, they've moved areas or they've lost their concentration themselves. They've become, uh, you know, almost uh, a occupational hazard. Um but it's through this ability to communicate with each other. Uh, it's It sounds remedial, right? Communication is what we do. We talk. Uh, but having the right conversations, Leslie, what, is, what does some of that look like? Yeah, I, you know, I think as I, I was hearing you share that, Dirk, one of the things I've referenced a conference that I was at on Monday hosted by True Sport um, here at the Olympic Museum. We had over 1,500 coaches tune in because it was the – it was the first time that there had been national space created to talk about the mental wellness of our coaches. Love it. Because our coaches are taking these things on. Yeah. And I think if you have, I have some incredible relationships with the coaches. Um, I talk about coaching, right? Having them coach courageously. Well, what does that look like? Just it, it, it's empowering people to do their job really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is also making sure that they have the resources um, proactively to talk about the things that are on their mind, and that allows them to coach um, more um, more authentically as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we're just grateful. I, you know, why or how are we able to talk about these things? I mean, I think about moments when high profile athletes started to talk about right. This isn't easy. Michael Phelps, people mm-hmm. who were just perceived as at the top of their game, and and um, flawless in nature and those were so courageous um, powerful moments and I'm grateful to be talking about these things and I think I spend certainly a lot of time in my role and I found this to be incredibly important and I talk to peers about this all the time is if you're not spending one-on-one time with the people doing your doing the work serving your key stakeholders and I say stakeholders there are students but whoever Mm-hmm. You need to be doing that, and you need to be putting your phone down. You need to be closing the door, and you need to be asking them, "How are you doing?" How are you doing? Because and it's 
we joked about this is really basic, but it's almost like we've lost the ability to do that. And and then, of course, creating trust, because you can't expect to have those conversations if you're not doing it in a way that you can connect with those yeah, people. Yeah, that's, so. that's leaving yourself pretty vulnerable. Yeah. You know, when you start opening up about yep. things you can't see. Yes. And I love the fact that, you know, Gabby from the, you know, the gymnast, um, yep. her last uh, last name escapes me at the moment. But, you know, how she just put her foot down and said, I, I, I need to stop here. Yeah. I'm not well. Yeah. And what a, you know, we, we talk about bravery. Uh, I mean, that was on an international stage and people were like, what just happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But God bless her for doing it because that. You know, I'm not saying that was the impetus of it, but certainly that was a, a a great pivot point for this discussion to to happen on a material level. No, I totally agree. I think the part I'm watching the David Beckham Netflix series right oh, now, yeah. and yeah. just thinking about what he went through. And I grew up in the UK, and so there's very much a you know just don't talk about it and and keep grinding mentality, and and just coming back to our roles as leaders, right? Even thinking about what Margaret and I are trying to do, I think it's so important that. If you're visible in the community in this way, that we are focused on the important things, and, mm-hmm. and this is just a critical topic. And, and Colorado Springs is hosting it. Ladies, I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can actually plug in and get involved financially as a, as a financial uh, uh, benefactor, as somebody who just wants to participate and learn some of the skills. Leslie, I'll, I'll offer it to you first. And... Um, you know, tell people where they can connect. Yeah, well, I think, firstly, just reach out to me directly. What I would encourage to is our student-athletes are amazing and our students are amazing. So just come out to a game, and, and I'm at most of them. <laughs> so um, please look me up, and, mm-hmm. and um, I would love to engage in a conversation about what we're doing and, and how you can directly support. Thank you both, ladies, uh, for your passion, for your talent, your love of humanity. Uh, to make us a better species um, and for piloting this initiative here. We just scratched the tip of the iceberg. So join us November 14th at Notes Bar, 530 to 730, to hear this conversation more in depth. In the meantime, I'm your host, Dirk Hobbs, for True North. Thanks for joining us. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. You've been tuned in to True North. Till next time. Fly. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.